He is mighty to save, and we are going to see another reason why and how we know He is mighty to save this morning. So if you got your Bibles, we are in John chapter 9, and uh, we are going to walk through the first 12 verses of John chapter 9, and our theme this morning is around reframing pain, reframing pain. So I brought with me this morning what is my most favorite picture. I love this picture. I keep it close by. I see it almost every day. Not, not every day, but almost every day. And I love this picture because on it is my tribe. This is my tribe of people right here. Uh, my lovely bride and five, uh, five kiddos. And, and I will just say, I shared this at the first hour, so I must share it again. Uh, our littlest guy who just turned one. Uh, said dada this week for the very first time. So I'm very pumped about that. Uh, I was not there and evidently he calls everybody dada. So it doesn't matter. Like he said dada and I know he was thinking just of me when he did that. So, so, so I love my crew. And so I had this picture, this moment in time that is held together by a frame. And it is with this frame that this frame holds the whole thing together. Like it holds the picture together, it holds the moment together. I can't look at that picture without seeing that frame. Sometimes I notice the frame, sometimes I don't. It's always there and it's always impacting the way I see something. And the reason I share that is because I talk about reframing pain and all of us have experienced pain. Uh, all of us have experienced great depths of pain. Physical pain, but also emotional pain, um, financial pain, relational pain, parenting strain, uh, work pain. Like, like it comes in all shapes and sizes. And today, through the word, Jesus is going to help us, I believe, see pain in a, in a necessary way. And perhaps for some, this is a reframing of sorts because we've always looked at it a certain way. And so Jesus is going to help us. The main idea of our passage is that pain provides an opportunity to share the hope of the gospel and to bring glory to him. Jesus is going to help us process, uh, interpret, and, and work through the painful moments and experiences that we all see and that we all walk through. So just a, a context check on where we're jumping in. The Feast of Tabernacles has concluded. It's one of the big three Jewish feasts in Jerusalem. The city would swell with Jews from all over the land to come and celebrate. And so they have been at the Feast of Tabernacles and Jesus was there and he taught and had great purpose in everything he did and everything he said and every place he was at. And the feast has now wrapped up, but Jesus has chosen in his sovereignty to linger in Jerusalem and to linger around the temple and to linger because there are important divine appointments and conversations that that he needs to have. And so as we're as we've kind of walked through this, what all John John chapter eight is all about, as we've been there, we have seen Jesus with just pr profound teaching because he has unmistakably communicated that he is God, that he and the father are one, that he is the Messiah 
that he is the living water, that if there's anyone who's thirsty, let him come to him and drink. Speaking of placing faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. He has communicated that even before Father Abraham was, which was like 2000 years ago, that before Abraham was, he says, I am an unmistakable uh, claim and, and, and truth that he is God using the relational name that God uses for himself in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus also taught that he is the light of the world. And then he came to give light in a spiritually dark world. He came to give life to a spiritually dead world. He came to give life and he came to give light. And it's in this setting that, that Jesus has another a very important conversation to have. And if, if you remember, if you happen to be with us last week, we ended in chapter 8 with a bunch of super religious, angry people holding rocks ready to stone Christ. Why? Because he was communicating he was God and they lost their minds. And so they had these rocks in their hand and Jesus withdraws from that violent scene and he's leaving the temple courts there. And it's as he's leaving that he sees somebody. And I want us to know that around the temple, you're going to have tons and tons of people, especially during festival season. And, and people are going to come because they're going to want to worship the Lord at the temple. And they're going to come with their alms and their offerings. And, and they're coming ready to worship the Lord. And, and, and so beggars would find their way through the entrances of the, the temple gates where people were coming in. And they would beg for mercy and beg for money and beg for, for help. And so in verse 1, the Bible says this. It says, as he passed by, Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man that was blind from birth. I love that Jesus sees individuals. Yes, he sees the masses. Yes, he sees the crowds. But Jesus always sees the individual. He sees and he knows this man. Again, scholars say, don't know for sure, this man probably uh, blind for somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 plus years. The Bible tells us that he is blind from birth. This was a congenital uh, disease, illness that he had. Literally, like he has never seen anything. The darkness that we just shared a few moments ago as we read the text, this was his experience for his entire life. And evidently, whether he was known in that area or, uh, you know, perhaps had, had always been there for a long time, they knew that this beggar had been there and that he had been born since he was blind. And I think it's interesting that this is uh, the kind of the one miraculous he healing that Jesus performs on somebody who has had this situation since the time they were born. So Jesus sees them. He sees this man. And in verse 2, the Bible says, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples are there. Jesus is with them. They see this man in his condition. They are ready to have a theological conversation about this man's sin. Because for all they knew, it was because either he sinned or his parents did. So which one was it? And the reason why was because there was a very popular Jewish doctrine and teaching 
that said, if, if, you, if you sin and, and you're physically ill, that that illness is because of your sin. Like the reason that you have this disease, this illness is because of your sin. Now, this is, could not be further from the truth. The Bible absolutely rejects this. This is not truth. But yet, this, is, this, is, this just shows culture impacting the way they think. And not only that, Greek, the Greek powers that be are, are, are running strong. And so you got Greek philosophy that's swirling around in there. And they're all about kind of reincarnation. And so if you did something really bad in your last life, or if you come back in your next life, you're really going to have some major issues so you have all this swirling around and they're like, okay, Jesus, time for a theological discussion. What's the deal with this? Who sin, him or his dad? And so how, why is this? And I, I even see this in our day. Like I, I even, I, I thought back in reflecting to 2005, Hurricane Katrina. And uh, many of you, North Mississippi was absolutely impacted by that. And and, and, and just the category, it was a category five and it made its way and it's made its way towards Louisiana. Many of you perhaps had family members that were in the path of that storm. It was devastating. But I remember hearing people say, well, yeah, New Orleans, French Quarter, like that judgment is coming. And it's like, What? Like, like the, the devastation, like just devastated a mass area. Even the, the worst of the damage wasn't there in the quarter. But you see people like connecting like, well, 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 this is because of this. And you see this kind of like this, this philosophy. But what Jesus is going to say is he's going to reframe the whole pain situation. This man's blindness has nothing to do with sin. Nothing to do with the sin of his parents. Now, the sin, the illness, the disease, the brokenness in a general way, absolutely a result of the general broken world that we live in. Absolutely. But they were trying to connect the dots of this specific sin to this specific disease and this issue. And and Jesus is going to help them reframe this in a helpful, helpful way. Verse three, Jesus is going to clarify He answered, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It wasn't because of his sin. It wasn't because of his parents' sin. This guy is a miracle waiting to happen. He's a miracle waiting to happen. I love what F.F. Bruce says. He says, this does not mean that God deliberately caused the child to be born blind in order that after many years, his glory should be displayed in the removal of the blindness. So to think so would again be an aspersion on the character of God. It does mean that God overruled the disaster of the child's blindness so that when the child grew to manhood, he might be recovering his sight see the glory of God in the face of Christ and others, and seeing this work of God might turn to the true light of the world. There is purpose always in pain. There's purpose in the pain. And God, in His sovereignty, will choose to use this man's affliction to bring glory and to bring hope and healing to this man. 
But rather than compassionate awareness, the disciples are like wanting to have a theological sin conversation to which I just want to say it is important that we have those conversations. Like we need places and spaces to be able to have conversation about why do bad things happen to good people? How could a good God allow such hurtful and harmful things to happen? Those questions are real. We need those places to be able to talk through that and discuss through that. God is a good and gracious God. Any, I mean, the fact that we're the fact that we have a pulse and breathing is a gracious gift from God. He is so good. But Jesus is going to teach them a very important lesson that we all uh, need to latch a hold of, which is theological discussion on sin is good and important to have. But right now there is something that is more important, and that is that we engage in this need of this man who is hurting right now. And this is what Jesus do. Jesus moves into the mess. He moves into the pain. And we see one observation in the text is that may we live with compassionate awareness of the pain around us. This is the way of Jesus. I love that Jesus saw. Jesus saw. The disciples saw sin. Jesus saw a man in need of his grace. It's like uh, you go in and out of your house all the time. Uh, if you brought somebody with fresh eyes in, they would probably see things that you've gotten very used to that are being in your house. Think of something as simple as an umbrella uh, laying against your door. And, and you just walk in and out of that door, in and out of that door, and that umbrella is always there. Sometimes you rarely even see it. Unless when it's raining, there's a reason to look for it. Oh, there it is. I know where it is. Like, it's there. But other than that, like, it just, it's almost like you get numb to seeing it. It's almost like you can get blind to seeing it. It's always there, but you just live life going back and forth. And this is how pain can become if our hearts aren't yielded and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because we can get so used to the pain and so used to the brokenness. So much to the point where we just kind of keep going and we allow our hearts to become calloused to need. But I love that Jesus sees the need. He saw him. In verse 4, the Bible says, We must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming. What is Jesus talking about? He's saying we, we need to work while there's still day. Night is coming. Night is coming because in six months, the cross is coming. In six months, on that day, Christ will yield Himself. He will allow Himself to be arrested. He will allow Himself to be crucified for the sin of the world. He will allow this to happen because this is the will of the Father because it's the only way for our sin to be dealt with. And so that will be, a, that will be a, 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 an hour in the dark. But while there's day... There's work to do. I love, he says, we must work the works of him who sent. He was all about the will of the Father. Everywhere you see Jesus, there's purpose, there's intentionality. He's living on mission. Why? To seek and to save the lost. This is why he's come. He says, we must do this. All through the gospel of John, that verb must, it's sprinkled through the whole gospel. Because everywhere you see Jesus, he must be engaged in reaching the lost. 
And I love what number four, verse four starts with. It starts with a very important word that is powerful. All right. So I'm going to count to three and let's just say it together. It's going to be the first word right after the little number four up there. All right, here we go. One, two, three. We. We. Jesus doesn't need us. He doesn't have to have us, but his plan all along is that he desires to empower you to minister into the world of pain. That he desires to use you. He says we, one of the most powerful lessons in just being a Christian that I've ever learned was the change of mindset when we grab a hold and I grab a hold of that ministry, serving others in the name of Jesus to point them to Jesus, that ministry is not something I do for God. Ministry is something I do with God, with his power, with his grace, with his strength to bring light into those painful places in our world. He says, we must Work the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, absolutely. There was a dark day on the cross on the third day. Christ resurrected from the dead. He empowered his people with his spirit to be what? To be like a light on a hill, a city on a hill that can't be hidden. That the light of Christ shines through his followers and through his believers. But we too are humbled to be reminded that we too have a little bit of daylight. And it is a humbling thing to think that that there will be that night is coming in our lives. That the Bible speaks that we we have this physical life, this time here. And we have, we have time in the light, but night is coming. And for the believers, there is the glorious hope of the resurrection. The blessed assurance that we know, like Revelation says, there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more brokenness, no more illness, no more machines, no more doctor visits, no more treatment. Like it's all gone. Like heaven, eternity with our Father. And it will be absolutely glorious. I can't imagine. It's going to be an amazing day. But there is something we can't do in heaven. And that is tell a broken world about the hope that is only found in Jesus. And so Jesus is reminding us. He's like, while there's day. While you have day. While you have day. Because night is coming. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, making the because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the will of the Lord in this moment is to bring light to a painful place. Second observation that we see in light of this passage is that time is limited. Time is limited. I can remember not long ago when I thought like kind of like I was bulletproof and kind of live forever, you know, like. But with each year, I become more 
cognizant of eternity and just how short, how short this time is. Time is limited. May the Spirit of God drive us to loving gospel action. While there's still day, while there's still day, there is profound purpose in pain. Will we allow God to use us? Will we be like a glove? Will we be a conduit that the Holy Spirit empowers us to shine His love and His hope and His care through our lives to a painful, hurting world? That we would, like we say around here, love God, love people, and live sent. That we would live sent. That we would live sent. But one thing we know, every single one of us, And that is, ministry is messy. Pain is messy. Pain is complex. Have you ever noticed there's no easy answers in pain? There's no easy answers. It's complex. It's it's messy. But yet this is where the light shines the brightest. This is where Christ is telling us to go by His power, by His grace, to a light, to the most painful places, to the most hurting of places. That this is why He has called us. And He is going to show us physically just how dirty it can be. In verse 6, the Bible says, Having said these things, He spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then He anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Now I'm trying to use my like imagination for a moment, okay? I want you to join me there. All right? Be be reminded that this is a man who has been blind since, like he can remember, he's never seen sight. His ear, his hearing is heightened, no doubt. And yet he, he, he hears Christ. He hears him spit in the mud. And I'm not trying to be gross, but have you spit in the mud lately and picked it up and made something out of it? Anybody? <laughs> it's like, 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 it must have been a lot. I'm just saying. And, he, and, he, and so like this man is hearing this. He doesn't see what's going on. I'm sure the disciples are like, what is Jesus doing? What is going on? But yet he spits. Some of your versions say spittle. Like he made spittle. He, he creates uh, mud cakes with his saliva. And then like all this blind man hears, he just hears it. And then all of a sudden he just feels this. <laughs> like right on his face and, and just smears it on his eyes. I just wanted us to take a moment and unpack that moment for a little while because, wow, it must have been wild. But what does the Lord say? He says, go and wash. Now, why did he, why did he use the mud? There's all kinds of, of, of reasons. We don't know why, but it could have been back in Genesis 2. Verse 7, where God tells us how he created man from dust and breathed breath of life into his nostrils. And he's recreating uh, eyes for this man to see. It's just an incredible picture. But after he does that, he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And I love I love that even the Holy Spirit through the disciple John is making a point that this is the pool called sent. Because the Siloam pool was, was the place of and reminder of God's blessing to his people. God's provision to his people. If you remember a few weeks back, the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the daily ceremonies was the priest would march out of the temple 
courts, would go down to the pool of Siloam, would fill that water pitcher full of water, would walk up to the temple courts and pour that water on the rock. And it was a reminder of God's providence and God's provision of how he provided water in the wilderness for his people and how God provided hope and blessing for his people and what Jesus is communicating once again. You could go to any pool, but I want you to go to the sent pool because that is the reminder that I am the one sent from God to bless you. So he takes, he goes to the water, he takes the water, he washes off and the Bible says he went and washed and he came back seeing. All of a sudden, the darkness faded away. He started seeing things and people and places for the very first time. No doubt he was completely overwhelmed with all that he was taking in in that moment. But I love what the man does at the word of Jesus, and that is he does what Jesus told him to do. We sing songs like trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What blessing would this man have missed out on if he would not have heeded the word of the Lord? What blessing are we missing out on if the Lord has shown us a step of faith that he's calling us to trust him, whatever that looks like, and to know that blessing is absolutely on the other side of obedience every single time. God's blessing is in obedience. And so he and he invites him to go and wash and he sees. Here's a third observation this morning that we see from the text is that God can use a moment of ministry in a far greater way than we may see or think. The disciples could only see what was right in front of them. I'm still there, still probably trying to figure out, like, did he really just do what I saw him do? Like, is, is this all happening? But what is Jesus? What's Jesus doing? He knows he knows the kingdom ripple that's going to happen because not only was he compassionately aware, but he was moved to loving, grace-filled gospel action in this man's life. He knew the ripple effect that would come. And the same is true. We, we become involved in the pain and we bring ministry and love and care in the pain. We never know the impact it will make. But look at verse 8. The neighbors see what's happening. The neighbors, verse 8, and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. And others said, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the man. <laughs> I just picture that too. Like they're like, is that him? Is that him? Is that him? And then the other folks are like, no, nah, that ain't him. He's like, it's me. It's me. I once was blind, but now I see it, it's it's me. They see it. They see it. And what we're going to see is this ripple effect for the glory of God. Verse 10, verse 10 says, so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? How are your eyes opened? And isn't this the question of all questions when it comes to pain? What happened that caused this? Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to her? What, what, what happened? 
That is the question that we will circle over and over is the why and the what and the why and the what when the question in this moment is not the why or the what, though we all ask that question. The question is who? Not in what happened, like tell me about the mud and tell me about the spit and tell me about it rubbing your eyes and tell No, like who did this? Who? 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 In verse 11, he answered, and the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. To which, take heart, Christ is very near. And he's going to be just right back physically in the verses to come. But here's what I love about this. People are going to argue with him. We're going to read about that. But did you know that you cannot argue a changed life? You can argue all kinds of things. You can argue all kinds of things, but you cannot argue a changed life. This man is like Jesus has. All I know is I once was blind and I now see his life was changed by the grace of God in the midst of his pain and hurt. God did a greater work than he could have ever seen or known or experienced or even realized that was coming. And so as we back out from this passage, I want to I want to speak to three groups of people real quick as we are wrapping up this morning. The first group of people is the people really that, that this text we've heard speaking to us the whole way along, and that is believers Believers, I think of these disciples that were with Jesus and I think about all they were seeing and experiencing. And I want us to notice that Jesus is teaching them a profound lesson. One that is way bigger than a than a than a theology argument about sin. They want to talk theology. Jesus wants to talk about meeting needs and getting your hands dirty in the pain. And so the encouragement here is just like Jesus, that we would be compassionately aware. It's so easy to grow cold and numb to the pain that is around us. But Jesus saw this man. And here's the encouragement, a challenge for us this morning is that God, who is one person in my circle of influence? I know who is experiencing deep pain right now. It can look all kinds of different ways. Physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain. It can look a lot of different ways. But who is somebody in my circle of influence that God helped me to see them? Help me to see them. And then not only that, but God moved me to compassionate action. Compassionate action to be engaged in the pain. To get our hands dirty by meeting a specific need and showing the love of Jesus in a tangible way. And listen, we don't need to feel like we need to have the right words to say. Sometimes just simply being there and giving a hug and just praying over and not saying anything else is enough. But that we would, we would be sensitive to the need that we would ask for God's grace and power to go. And as we go, that we would pray for God to use us to be a blessing, a source of encouragement, of hope. And love of Jesus in a practical way in their lives. And to pray that God would use that sacrifice for his glory. Because that is just what we have witnessed this morning with this blind man at the temple. 
And so practically, may we live sent. Practically, may we move into gospel action and allow God to use us. And can I just say this? After the 8 a.m. service, a, a, a sweet lady came up weeping, sharing with me. She said, I just want to know that we just celebrated the anniversary of losing someone that we desperately loved. And I just want to say as a testimony to you and to the Lord, this church loved on us in a way that we could have never have asked them. The meals, the being present, the praying with, the checking in on all along the way. She said, I'm here because I want to be a testimony to what that challenge was for us today. You just never know the kingdom ripple. You never know the kingdom ripple. We can't see it, but we can be faithful to see and engage and trust God with the rest, but be a messenger of hope, a sent one to the front lines of pain. So that is one group of people, the believers in the room, that we would be sensitive to engage in ministry. The second group of people, and I'm just going to be completely honest, I am humbled, I, I I am humbled and I am my heart trembles to, to, to talk to those this morning who are in the pain. Those who are in the fire. Because there are times when you're in the fire, it's hard to even hear or see anything else because all you see and feel are the pain. And it is real. But I want to share just a moment, some encouragement from the Word of God how God can create beauty from ashes and how He can work in a bigger way through pain. The first is this, and it's true, pain equips us for ministry. Pain equips us for ministry. Nobody wants to be equipped through pain, am I right? I don't know anybody who wants to be equipped, but that's exactly what happens. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul's Paul's Word of encouragement says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort Two, that there is a real sense that when we walk through the pain, who do you go to when you're walking through that pain? Oftentimes, it's somebody that you know and that you've seen and that you trust and that you love that you know they've been through a similar, a similar journey. A similar journey. You go through different struggles, whether it's with your children or with your marriage or with your finances or with your uh, or, or with physical illness. Our minds go to who are those people in our lives that we've maybe seen from a distance or maybe up close. And we see how God has has carried them through. And 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 we just want to go up to them and just say, like, I'm a sponge right now. Tell me, tell me whatever you would have to say to me, because I, I've seen and I observed what By God's grace, I know that you have walked through. Pain equips us. Pain strengthens us. Again, this is not the strength we want, but it's the strength that always comes. James says it this way in some of the hardest verses to cling to because the word says this, count it all joy, my brothers, 
when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, long-suffering, endurance, strength. That isn't that how even weight training goes? You load weight so that once you've worked out with that weight, you just get stronger on the other side of that, the stress and the, the pressure. And yet here we are reminded that there is a patience that, that, that comes through that trial and through that pain. Pain also teaches us, again, it's lessons we don't want to learn. But even King David said this in Psalm 119, verse 71. He said, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. That it's been said that Paul was able to understand pain in the sense of it's not something that's done to him, but for him. That sometimes I forget and perhaps we forget as we think about Paul is that he lived life with a thorn in his flesh for his entire life. We hear about it over in 2 Corinthians, but outside of that, we really don't hear about it much. But this brother lived in pain every single day. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. The Lord says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest Upon me. God has purpose in the pain. God is always working. And he is always in us, with us as believers. And we are never, never alone. And there's one other group of folks that I want to talk to before we wrap up. And that is those who are living apart from a relationship with God. This story is powerful for a million reasons, but one of the most powerful reasons and maybe the most powerful reason is because it is a glorious picture of the gospel. And we say gospel talking about the good news about Jesus. Why? Because here is a man who for 30 years was completely blind and he could do absolutely nothing to fix it. He couldn't do anything to make it better. He couldn't do anything to make it go away. This was simply his condition and he couldn't do anything about it. And I think about it in light of that spiritual truth that the Bible tells us that apart from God, we are spiritually dead and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We can get a good game plan. We can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we can try harder and we can do better. But at the end of the day, there is absolutely nothing you or I could ever do that could bring healing to our spiritual sickness called sin. And so what does Jesus do? It's what he's been doing since we opened the gospel of John. He is living sent, fulfilling the will of the father, divine appointment after divine appointment after divine appointment with purpose every single step of the way. This is where we see Jesus meeting his disciples. This is where we see him at the wedding. This is where we see him on that hillside with that multitude of people. This is where he says we have to go to Samaria because there's a woman there. This is his ministry mode is to seek out and go after the person, the individual. And what does he do in this case? The crowds just see, oh, it's his sin problem. Let's see what is it. Parents, is it him? And Jesus pursues this man to give him grace 
and forgiveness and healing in a way that only Jesus can. Jesus meets us where we are. And He does what only He can do. And that is to clean us up. To cleanse our sin. To give us the gift of His Spirit. To be in peace with God. And by His grace live for His glory and for His mission. He's the only one that can do that. And so I would just say today, perhaps you are seeking. Perhaps you have lots of questions. And perhaps if it were a test, yes or no. And the question was, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And if you were to answer that no, then my encouragement would be, would you hear the love of Christ pursuing you this morning to grant you what only He can? What only He can. So I'm going to pray for us. And as we do, uh, we'll have pastors here uh, who, are, who are going to be down front. We would love to pray over you if that's a desire or a need in your life. Um, perhaps you're here and you're in the fire. You're in it. You're there. Perhaps, perhaps you would be blessed by someone just praying over you and encouraging you. I pray you allow us to do that this morning. Or perhaps there's somebody nearby that you love and care about that you can just put an arm around and say, can you please pray for me? It could be just God, my heart honestly has gotten cold to the pain around me and I need you to soften my heart. Help me to see because I've just been living my life and doing my thing and not sensitive to those who are in deep need around me. Or maybe today it's just like, you know what? I need to begin a relationship with Jesus and we would love to walk with you through that. So I'm going to pray for us and however you feel led to respond to the Lord this morning, I encourage you to do that. Father, we love you and we thank you for your, this day today. and We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And uh, God, thank you for this specific encounter uh, with this blind man bringing healing. And God, I do pray, Lord, for um, the family of faith. God, that we would not grow immune or numb to the pain around us, but we would be compassionately aware to see people. God, and not just see, but be moved to compassionate gospel action. We may not know what to say, God, but we just know that's where you want us. And so by your grace, your strength, your word, we, we, we get into the pain. And God, we love on and encourage that person who is walking through a, a difficult fire right now. And God, I do pray for the one who is in the fire, God, that your Holy Spirit would minister to them. I love that your word tells us you intercede for us. God, thank you for praying. When we don't know what to pray, we know you're praying for us. And so I echo the prayer. God, your prayer for my brothers and sisters who are in the pain today. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. God, thank you most of all for your grace and forgiveness that comes through a relationship with you. God, the, the, the blind man obeyed what you said. You invite all those who desire a relationship with you to repent and believe. And I pray today, God, there would be those who move from death to spiritual life. God, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.